Imagine getting up every day full of energy as if you were in your 20s again. What would that be like? What would that be worth to you? What is your health worth to you? Think about it. Your health isn't everything, but without it, everything else is nothing. And yet too many of us are taking it for granted until something goes wrong. No one wakes up hoping to be diagnosed with a disease or chronic illness. And yet we've never been taught how to be proactive in our health through our school system or public health. As a registered health coach and integrative health practitioner, I believe it is time this information is made available to everyone. Combining new knowledge around your health and the ability to do my functional medicine lab tests in the comfort of your own home will allow you to optimize your health for today and all your tomorrows. Don't wait for your wake up call. Welcome back to the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. My name is Melissa Dealey and I'm your host and I am very excited about the guests that I have to share with you today, Deanne Riendo. Welcome, Deanne. Hello, Melissa. Hello, everybody. I'm so excited to have you here and I just want to introduce you to the audience. Deanne is a thought leader in spiritual and business development whose mission is to elevate how we think and live. Experiencing a life of chronic illness and two near-death experiences, Deanne rebounded with 20 years of health education and a diverse health career. Now, this month, my focus and theme is inspiration. And that's why I wanted Deanne to join us because not just one, but two near-death experiences. Just wait till you hear her share her story. She is also known as the modern-day Willy Wonka. And I love this because she gave away her company, Your Holistic Earth, which is the first holistic healthcare system of its kind. She is currently the owner of Rose Hope International, in which she helps those who are seeking more joy, love, freedom, and a deeper meaning in life using your soul's library, also known as the Akashic Records. She has spoken at Harvard University, appeared on Shaw TV, Global Television, and CTV, and has been recognized as a visionary and business leader, having been nominated for numerous awards, including the Alberta Business of Distinction. Along with being an entrepreneur, Deanne is the mom of two bright kids, a publisher, popular speaker, and international best-selling author who uses her heart and her head to guide others to create their best life. And I just absolutely adore her. So I adore you too. So thank you. you. (laughs) Thank you so much. And let's just jump in with your incredible story. Please well, share with the audience. You know, I love sharing my near-death experiences because they were so profound for me. And um, and I just want to express a little caveat. Just because I had these two near-deaths and they catapulted my life in a certain direction, please do not self-induce a near-death experience, people, okay? Yes, very <laughs> important caveat. Yes, you do not need to self-induce a near-death experience or have a wish to have a near-death experience because you get to choose whether you want to go the path or not. So my first near death actually happened when I was just five years old. I was eating one of those round jawbreaker candies. You remember those? I think they still have them. Um, I, I don't know who invented that candy, but not a safe one. And nonetheless, I was sucking on this big round jawbreaker candy. And my dad said, Deanne, go sit down before you choke. And I went to go sit down. And wouldn't you know it, I took a breath in and that jawbreaker got lodged in my throat. 
So immediately I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get any air in. Um, my dad come, came running over to me. He wrapped his arms around my waist, started like lifting me off the ground. I remember the feeling like my head was going to pop off like that. It was so intense, that pressure, but that jawbreaker was not going anywhere. It would not move. And so, um, I went limp in my dad's arms and, um, he obviously, you know, put me on the ground and, uh, and at that moment I had an, an out of body experience. So I remember very vividly, I know exactly where it was in the house that we used to live in. I remember hovering above and I could watch my dad like struggling in my mouth. And I remember my older sister coming around the corner to peek and see what was going on. I remember my mom running to the phone. Um, my mom just thought it was crazy when I explained. I'm like, well, you went to the phone and called for help. And she's like, how did you know that you were unconscious? And I was like, well, I saw it. And she's like, well, how did you see it? You know, um, but that was my first kind of taste at this sensation or this feeling that there was so much more to this world that we do not see that we don't even get a chance to experience. And, um, you know, my dad ended up using his thumb, uh, which by the way, also not supposed to do. Um, but he used his thumb and he pushed enough against my throat that he could get a bit of leverage and he popped the jawbreaker out and he got me breathing again. So I, I, I joke that my dad gave me life, not once, but twice. And, uh, and so I'm grateful. I'm grateful that my dad did everything he could to get that out, but it was very scary for all of us. And then after that, you know, it took a while because my, my whole flight face um, was um, it was like um, black and blue because all the blood vessels had broken in my face. Right. So my whole face was covered in these speckles. Like, you know, when you give yourself a hickey or whatever, right. you a hickey from somebody else. <laughs> so my whole face was like that. And it took a couple of weeks for that to kind of subside, but something in me had shifted or at least awakened, if you will. Now mm -hmm. I'm not consciously aware at five or six years old, what's going on, but my mom remembers, I became very lucid. Um, she talks about light bulbs, uh, you know, uh, going out or flickering a lot. Um, after that, she remembers that, um, she talked about, um, my, I would have precognition. So I would come in and be like, Hey mom, so-and-so died in my dream, just letting you know. And then sure enough, you know, either that day or the next day, my mom would get a call that person had died. So stuff like that started to happen. And because I was raised in a Catholic home, um, that was a bit too intense for, I think, even my mom. And so even though she, she didn't um, kibosh it, um, I, I could get the sense that that was a bit scary and she didn't know what to do with that. So even at a young age, I knew, I thought, oh, I better, I better be a bit more quiet about some of this stuff. I better not can speak. Yeah. And you can also see why for your mom, that would be kind of scary too, right? Well, to have her five and six-year-old daughter saying so-and-so died in my dream. And then that person actually dies. Exactly. And that happens a couple of times. Then it's like, I don't know if I want to hear about your dreams anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, and exactly. Yeah. I've kind of experienced that myself in that um, my mom could be exactly the same way. And as a young child, I remember her telling me things that were going to happen and then they happened and that frightened me. Yeah. And so yeah. I suppressed that ability yeah. within me. Yes. And that's only something that I'm now starting to step into and experience and open up to realizing that I can also choose to open up to what is good and not having to know what is bad. Exactly. Right? But I didn't know that as a young child, I thought I had to know everything and I didn't want to know everything. Right? So yeah. I can totally understand 
how your mom felt. Yes. And I can too, you know, she really, I have an incredible mom and we have a great relationship and she's always supported my path. Um, but I don't blame her. I, I don't think I would have known what to do either. And, mm-hmm. and my dreams were so lucid. I would, I would have sleep paralysis where I'd be awake, but I'd still be experiencing the dream. Mm-hmm. And they were terrifying. Um, up until I was 12, I spent a lot of nights um, sleeping beside my parents on the floor because I would, I would have a dream and be terrifying and I'd need that safety. And so I'd go crawl with my blanket and pillow and I'd lay beside them. Um, and my mom still talks about that to this day. Uh, but I also didn't have the awareness that I had power within my dreams. I didn't know that nobody had, mm-hmm. told me that, you know, mm-hmm. so my, my go-to was actually the Lord's prayer because I was raised Catholic. So I knew the prayer. And so as soon as I would have a bad dream, that Lord's prayer would come and guess what they would, it would dissipate. And oftentimes I would feel better, um, about that. So that was, that was my go-to to get through those times. Uh, but I certainly suppressed it. And um, as a result of actually that near death, I ended up going into EMS. I became an EMT, a firefighter and a dispatcher. Uh, so that was my first career because I wanted to save lives like my dad saved mine. Uh, but what was interesting in that first career was that I would have energies come home with me because a lot of times I'd be around dead people. Um, you know, we get, get a call and it would, the person would have been dead already, or we'd lose somebody in the ambulance. And so I would have, you know, these spirits that would like give me the EBGBs and I didn't know what it was again, didn't know. So I'd have like 10 showers, you know, (laughs) (laughs) and I remember feeling kind of freaked out by it. Um, and so again, we suppress it because most of us are afraid, Um, The other thing that happens for us is we think somebody else has the gifts and abilities, right? Mm -hmm. And I remember I used to watch John Edwards. He's a Canadian medium and he used to have a show. I don't know if you remember it, Melissa, but he would get a live audience and be like, okay, uh, I have someone here who's died of a heart attack. I think his name is like Bob or something. And then someone in the audience would be like, oh my God, that's my dad. And then he'd like share messages, right? And I remember watching it and being like, Oh my God, like, I wish I could do that. This is incredible. And little did I know that absolutely I could. (laughs) And so I want to kind of bring up a point around this. Um, We all have the gifts. (laughs) You have it. Every single listener has it. It really comes down to choice, whether you want to go for it or not. And that was um, what really led me into my, my next near death was the catalyst for me recognizing I did have something. And my second near death, very different from my first. My second near death wasn't surrounded by a bunch of trauma. Um, in fact, I, um, I had knee surgery. I had torn my ACL in a skiing injury years before. And so I needed reconstructive surgery. So it was fairly invasive surgery, um, but I was at home recovering. And I was on a few different medications and they figure maybe something went a little wonky. Anyway, my blood pressure bottomed out. I went completely unresponsive. I actually, um, at the time I was upright um, and my brother-in-law caught me. He happened to be there, thankfully. And I said, I'm not feeling right. And then the next thing I know I was out. And that second near death um, was far more profound. One, because I'm an adult now, so I can... I can understand what I'm experiencing a bit more, but two, I got to be with the angels 
And let me tell you, there is nothing more euphoric than, than being in the presence of angels. And so I went to this space and I remember I felt like I was kind of floating and I could see these giant orbs of light and all different colors, Melissa, like we're talking the brightest of bright colors. And so you'd see an orb of a color and then there'd be another orb of a color and it was all these colors. And they were just the most magnificent colors I had ever seen. And I remember feeling this sense of like complete euphoria. I can't explain it. Um, like we can't, uh, it's such, it was such an incredible feeling. I was like, everything that I knew before didn't matter. So my consciousness already was like moved on from my life. And I was like, okay, I'm here now. And this is where I'm going. And it's great. And I, it felt amazing. And I, no regrets, like no, nothing. It was awesome. And as in many near death experiences, um, they said, you're not staying you need to go back. And they used, by the way, it wasn't in English, but I understood it. It was like a frequency. If you can imagine like chimes or singing, that's so beautiful. That's almost what that communication was like, but I knew exactly what they said. And so I came to in my brother-in-law's arms and I didn't really know how to articulate to him. Like, Oh my God, I was just around angels. Like my first ego thought was, He's going to think I lost my mind. So I I didn't say much about it. I didn't say much about it. Um, He helped me, you know, get off the ground and, you know, tuck me in or whatever. But days later, I was like, I need to start telling people this story. Like, you don't just go around hanging out with angels and then not tell anybody, right? Like, this was too profound. So I started with my mom. And then the next day, I'm talking with a girlfriend in my kitchen. And I'm telling her about this story. And I And I I said, you're not going to believe this, but like, I need to tell this story and it sounds crazy. I know, you know, I got all these caveats before I'm telling her the story. And so I tell her this story about the angels. My brother-in-law was in the next room and uh, he lived with me at the time, obviously. And he overheard me telling her, he comes running into the kitchen. He slams his hand down on the counter. He says, I knew it. He said, when you first went down, he said, I thought you were dead. I, I, I couldn't, I, I didn't think you were breathing. I didn't think there was a pulse. Like I started to panic because I was, you know, I was like, this, this is bad. He said, then all of a sudden he said, he felt this wave of energy as though there was angels around him. And they said it was going to be okay. And he said, within a few seconds, I smiled. And then I opened my eyes. And so wow. what, what that did, like, I got, I get goosebumps every time yeah. I talk about it because you're all, you're giving me tears almost <laughs> as I, as I like, I feel like I'm experiencing that moment with you now. Oh, right? Yes. Um, and incredible. Like, he validated that for me. Mm-hmm. He gave me permission now to speak that truth. And I've been speaking on stages about the angels ever since. And so my brother in lost and I have a beautiful relationship and I love him dearly. And we've always been very bonded and connected. And he's, he's definitely soul family. Um, but he really gave me a gift in that mm-hmm. because I think that had he not come in and said, Oh my God, I felt that too. And I, I had a, a message from them as well, even though I was conscious, it was just like, Oh my God, like if he felt it, then I did feel it. And then I could lean into trusting that. So that was the beginning of my trust journey um, in terms of really stepping into my own gifts. Mm-hmm. So once I recognize, okay, I did experience that that was real. 
right? Because our ego minds come in and our ego minds say, you don't know what you're talking about. That's a yep. bunch of whatever, right? Or, or your, your, the logic comes in because the ego mind wants to give a logical justification to all the things, right? Right. And or you so- just have all of these other people second guessing you and no one backing you up. And so you feel right. alone, right? right? And then that further fuels the ego, ego mind to say, yes, it didn't really happen. And you are exactly. crazy and you need to stop yes. talking about this. This is exactly it. And we're seeing this happen in so many facets of the world right now where people just because they don't agree with somebody, then they're being blacklisted as crazy. Mm -hmm. And really my truth is my truth. Just like your truth is your truth. We don't have the same truth. We don't. And and that's okay. We're not supposed to. Exactly. And And it's fascinating because the re- the truth is we all create our own reality as well, right? Recent training that I've just gone through and understanding how the unconscious mind works. And then I don't even know how to say this number, but we get 12 to the power of 10 to the power of 11, whatever that p- ginormous number is, yes. bits per second of information into our brain every second right? And it's too much for it to deal with. And so it distorts and deletes and generalizes down to somewhere between 121 and 135. Wow. And so as it distorts and deletes and generalizes, it's going through a filter of our beliefs, of our past life experiences, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So two people can witness the exact same event and distort, delete, and generalize it into a completely different story because our filters are different. Yes. And so through that, we literally are creating our own reality. Mm -hmm. So your truth is your truth. And my truth is my truth. But it doesn't mean that we have to be blackmailing the people that don't have the same truth because none of us are going to have the exact same truth. And the beauty in this too, Melissa, is that we're constantly discovering new truths about ourselves. Yes. Constant evolution. You know, what was true for me yesterday might not be true for me today. And so it's honoring that. What is your truth in this particular moment at this particular time? Mm -hmm. And once we recognize that everyone's walking that same path, we can start to have a bit more compassion for other people. And the judgment starts to fall away to say, oh, well, you believe in that. Well, then you're wrong and you're so off and, you know, that sort of thing. Instead, we just say, oh, that's your truth for now. And that's wonderful. And here's my truth for now. We can share in a much healthier way. So, yeah, I love that. Love that. So anyway, that near death. And then now I've been speaking about it. And and the biggest thing that I got from that is that I do have gifts and I can read energy and I can sense energy. And so I started to lean into that. And so a big part of what I want to share today is around these gifts, because so many people have said, well, I don't have that. Or they have the imposter syndrome that says, There's no way I can do that like that person, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I'm here to remind you that you absolutely do have the gifts. It just is requiring you to open them up a little bit. And so, you know, there's a, there's a cute little kind of experience I like to take people through and I am going to do so now. If you can imagine you're out shopping and you find a gift that, you know, would be perfect for somebody, right? So for example, maybe I find a book that I know Melissa would love. And so I, take that book, I buy it and I wrap it in a nice, you know, nice wrapping paper. Let's be honest, most people use gift bags or I put in a gift bag and I make it all pretty or whatever. And I bring it over to Melissa. And I want you to imagine that you're doing this for someone you love. So you're wrapping a gift, you're putting time and energy into it and you're bringing it to that person you love. 
And you go to that person and you, you're so excited and they open the door and they're like, Oh, I got company right now. I can't open the present. I'll put it over here. I'll open it later. And you think, okay, that's great. You know, text me later, phone me later, whatever. Days go by. You don't hear from this friend that you bought this present for weeks go by. You don't hear from them. So you're starting to feel like, Oh my God, did I, did I upset them with my gift? You know, what's, you know, why are, what's going on? And so you reach out to them finally after a few weeks and they say, Hey, Oh my God, I'm so glad you called. Come on over. And you go over to their house and your gift is sitting perfectly wrapped. It hasn't been touched in the same spot that it was left. And so how do you feel? How would you feel, Melissa? What comes to the surface for you? I would just feel really disappointed that they hadn't cared enough yet to open the gift. Right. And so disappointed comes up, feeling rejected comes up for a lot of people, feeling unimportant, not valued, Mm -hmm. all of those kind of feelings Mm -hmm. come up for a lot of us. Right. Mm -hmm. So then the question is this, I wonder how God feels when you don't open your gifts. Now, my God is an all forgiving God, FYI, but the point (laughs) being The point being is that you've been given these tremendous gifts. They are innate within you. They exist within you. All you need to do is start unwrapping them. And also, I want to just side note on this too, that we can also have compassion for ourselves that we haven't opened our gifts yet because a lot of us are afraid, just like my mom was afraid, just like I stuffed everything away too. I was afraid. And so just like you, just like I, right. And so we can have grace and we can have compassion for ourselves, but also the point being that we have these gifts, we just have to unwrap them. And yes, the unwrapping can get a little messy sometimes, but trust me, those gifts are infinite in what they can bring you. So I really want to encourage you to recognize that you have the gifts within you. If you're enjoying my content and someone that wants to step into being proactive in your health and learning more, I would love to invite you to join my membership community. There's a link in the show notes for only $19.99 a month. You get access to all of my content and there's a lot as well as weekly calls that you can come and get your health questions answered. It's truly priceless. I'd love to see you join the community. Check out the link in the show notes. And I love that point that people have the gifts within them. But I also want to say that this might be the first time people are hearing that. They haven't realized they have the gifts within them. They haven't realized they need to unwrap them. They haven't realized or they don't know how, right? And I know that's where your work comes in. But that's also what I see when I work with my clients in the health realm. That what I'm sharing, you know, a lot of what I share today, I didn't know when I was in the corporate world. Right. Right. And so, again, I'm giving my clients that grace as well, because I didn't know it. Yeah, we don't. I know there's millions of other people out there that don't know it. Right. And as you say, we don't know what we don't know until we need to know. Or until you're listening to a podcast where you hear this and you're like, oh my God, there's more to know. There's more that I can learn. Right. And it comes down to then finding the resources, finding the people that can support you and show you the way. 
Yes. And there are so many people that can support you and show you the way. And I really want to give a little bit, uh, a couple of things to help people on their way. So if they're, if I've piqued their interest now and they're like, oh, maybe I do have gifts, right? If they're thinking that, I want to just give a couple of tools to help your listeners Mm -hmm. so that they can kind of start to dig in. Um, The first thing that I want to share um, is that oftentimes, especially if you're empathic, or you're a bit of an old soul, um, which many of us are, um, especially your listeners, Melissa. Um, One of the things that happens is we tend to carry a lot of energy that's not even ours. And especially over the last couple of years, I've noticed people that are like so swept into fear and heaviness and uh, what do I have to look forward to? And their joy has been depleted. And this happens as empaths because we are sensitive to energy, but we also are oftentimes people pleasers and we want to take care of the people around us. And so what we do is we say, oh, dump your backpacks of garbage in here and I'll carry them for you. (laughs) And then we're like, why do I feel so heavy and unmotivated? So I want to add that, that this is a really powerful um, phrase itself for me. You can care without carrying you can love care that without carrying. This was so important for me because I was in healthcare. Um, and then I moved into a very spiritual care uh, for others. And I was finding myself so exhausted at the end of the day, like, oh my God, like, why am I doing this work? You know, and it's because I was carrying everyone's stuff. And so reminding you that you don't need to carry other people's stuff. And in fact, it's imperative that you don't. And I want to add just a tool that you can use when you wake up in the morning or when you go to bed at night, it only takes a few seconds. The first thing that you do is you imagine your energy field being one to two feet around you, because what happens as empaths, Melissa, is we spread out our magnetic fields. Okay. So this is science. Some people call it an aura. I call it my sacred space, but a lot of us as empaths, we spread it way out. And then we are more vulnerable for the dumping in even people aren't knowing they're dumping, but they're just offloading energy is what we do. And then we take it and we take it home and you know, whatever, um, not serving us. Right. So bringing your bubble in, imagining it one to two feet around you. That's the first visualization. The next one is about intention. And so we add an intention now to this. And the intention is something like this. You can modify it to suit your needs, but it is, I only allow energy serving me at my highest good into my sacred space. Very simple. I only allow energy serving me into serving me at my highest good into my sacred space, because then I'm making a very clear intention that anything that does come in is something that I need to serve me in my path. It doesn't mean that it's always the the good rainbow fluffy stuff, you know, but I get the things that I need so that I can be my whole divine self. So that in itself was a game changer for me because I started to set a boundary, an energetic boundary for myself about how I was moving forward in the world. And so this is a challenge for a lot of people who are intuitive, empathic, just naturally, um, because they tend to take on a lot and then it gets clouded and then think, oh no, I really, I'm not good at this. Or I don't really have good intuition because they're all clouded with everyone else's stuff. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that makes a lot of sense. Right. And yeah. so that's a really important piece. If someone's wanting to step into this path, clear your energy, set an intention, um, around what you're letting into your wheelhouse. And, um, speaking of clearing energy, by the way, I will clear my energy when I'm having a shower because it makes the most sense. And I set an intention 
that just says any non-serving energy, any low vibration energy, any energy that's not mine, I send you away with light and love. So you can even do that as part of your cleansing routine. It's like brushing our teeth. You know, we brush our teeth to get the plaque off. Mm -hmm. Why, why do we not clear our energy fields? Right. And it's because we don't recognize that there's all this plaque of energy kind of clinging to us because we can't can't see it. it. So we don't know exactly. And it's the same even when, you know, I'm talking about detoxing. Same thing. We have the toxins inside. We don't think about it. We can't see it. But when we clear that out of our body, then that allows us to, you know, move into a place of healing. Really and, and feeling better. Right. So it's yes. the external energies. It's the internal. And, you know, these are all things that are not discussed uh, traditionally through yeah. our medical model, right. From a health perspective or a self-care perspective, et cetera. And it's all on the holistic side. So these conversations are coming out more and more now. Yes. If you are open and tapped in to the holistic side and the spiritual side of life. Um, but for, again, for some people, it might be their very first time hearing some of this today yeah. and take some time to digest it and sit with it and try it Yes. because look at your life, your lives. We could even say, right. Your dad gave birth to you twice. Um, you've been there. Yeah you've experienced this firsthand and you choose to help others as a result. That is your purpose in life. That is why you came back twice. That's right. And so what a blessing for everyone that gets to hear you speak and hear your story to then be able to take on some of your practices that you practice every single day in order to help themselves. Because you're right there. A lot of my audience are people that are helping other people as well. Right. And so starting to clear that energy and not taking it on is so important. It is so important. You know, it will be the, it will be the death of you really, you know, and I I think about lots of times in my life where I'm like, how did I have the energy to get through that thing or that other thing? Because I was so good at pouring out into other people and not replenishing my own resources either. Right. And so I think a lot of us do that. We've been taught by the best, you know, look at my mom's generation. You did everything for everybody and you made sure everyone was taken care of. My mom would never sit down at the dinner table until everyone had eaten because she knew that there was going to be things that she would need to bring to the table or someone would need this or that. So it's like we've been trained or conditioned to pour, pour, pour. Mm -hmm. And so this is really about coming into the space of receiving actually. Mm -hmm. It really is accepting and receiving. And that brings me into uh, another piece of discussion, which is really around the energy of the world and that everything is energy. We are all energy, your energy, I'm energy, the laptops were on our energy, you know, everything is energy. And we have also been conditioned to believe that we need to see it with our eyes, that it needs to be tangible for us. But there is so much more that exists that we cannot see. And Mm -hmm. so there's an opportunity for us to kind of change the lens that we look at the world. And that is the lens of energy. And I started practicing looking at the world through an energy lens versus through the three-dimensional lens, because I was finding that I was still getting trapped into places like judging people or, you know, judgments on experiences even. And I thought, well, what if I look at this from a different perspective? What if I just look at that person as energy? 
That's what they are. I don't have to judge them around that energy. I can just see them as energy. And, um, and so it started to shift my process and how I look at the world. And I had an ego death of judgment. And so it was such a profound spiritual experience for me um, that I moved into a place where uh, I uh, was really having a deeper layer of compassion for other people. And so the energy lens helps us on many facets. One, it helps us to kind of fall away from judgment, mm-hmm. but even more so, it also helps us in the manifestation side of things. So I want to talk about that because there's a lot of people out there that are like, oh, I just, I, this keeps happening to me and I can't get this going and I'm struggling with money and, I'm, and it's the same narratives, right, that they're playing. And so when we can look at that from an energy lens, then all of a sudden we start to see that, oh, okay, wait a second. Maybe there's more to this story because what happens is we have blinders on all the time. Mm-hmm. Right. And so we see a few pieces of the puzzle and then we decide what the puzzle is going to look like. Right. And that's part and of going back to that distort, delete and generalize. Right. You got it. You got it. Right. And so we have this very limited perspective, but then we decide, oh, that's a bad thing or that's a good thing. Right. Oftentimes I talk about the story of the farmer and a stallion and the story goes, the farmer loses a stallion. They look all over for it, can't find the stallion. The neighbors come over and they say, oh my God, this is the worst news ever. What are you going to do without your stallion and blah, blah, blah. And the farmer shrugs and says, who knows what's good or bad. We'll have to wait and see. And the next day comes along and the stallion comes back with a herd of wild horses. So the neighbors come over and they're like, oh, rejoice. You've got all your, all these extra horses now and your stallion. And the farmer says, who knows what's good or bad. We'll have to wait and see. Next day comes along and his son's training the horses. He gets bucked off and breaks a leg. So the neighbors come over and they're like, this is the worst news ever. What are you going to do without your son to help you? Next day comes along, army comes to town. Can't take the son. He's got a broken leg. You can see how the story could go on forever and ever. But the point of it is that we do tend to judge and we say, oh, that's bad or that's good. Can we just see it as is, as as the thing without having to attach a judgment to it. And that's the beauty of looking at the world through an energetic lens, because I can look at that and say, okay, that's not the way I expected it to go. But I also know that there's something that I need to see or something I need to experience. And that's why it happens this way. And then it starts to change that, uh, the leveraging that I can get from that experience, right? Because every experience we have happens for us, not Mm -hmm. to us. Right. Mm -hmm. And so if I'm going to be all mad about that experience, I'm missing out on all the learnings and all the magic of that experience, just because I decided it didn't turn out the way I wanted it to. Right. And so it opens up so much more possibility for us when we can begin to recognize that we are alchemists. We have the ability to take one energy to another energy. And so, for example, if I'm feeling really angry over here, I can, I can honor that anger. I can hold space for me to be angry, but I guarantee I'm going to look at that anger and say, what are you teaching me? What, what am I missing that I didn't see and receive valuable insight from that? And as soon as I start to do that, guess what? That anger becomes compassion just naturally right? Mm -hmm. And so again, we have this opportunity to move ourselves into this more energetic space. And this really is a four or five D level of consciousness, but we have the ability to do it. We just have to choose it. That's it. 
you know? And yes, it's a practice. Okay. You guys, my ego gets in the way all the time. Trust me, but um, it is a practice. And once you start to practice it, you're going to crave it. You're going to love it. It's going to change the entire game. Yeah. And I love and agree with absolutely everything that you've said. And um, I'm still practicing it myself. I'm like dipping my toe in compared to where you're at, I think, but just, you know, the things that I learned through my health coaching and one was to turn judgment into curiosity. Yeah. Which is a beautiful way to say that. And you will catch yourself judging because we've had a lifetime of doing it, right? Yes. When you do, when you do stop and ask yourself, why did I just think that thought? Yeah. I don't know their story. Who am I to judge whatever just happened? right? And let that go. And then also, I love that everything happens for us and not to us. And when we shift into that place, we can appreciate even the things that we might have previously deemed as bad, right? right? Yes. As the farmer did. We'll wait and see. Right. Yeah. And then after the after his son couldn't get taken by the army, well, he was appreciating that. Right. Yes. And you took me back in time a little bit, because when my oldest daughter, who's now about to graduate from university, when she was in grade 12, she was applying to universities like everybody else. Yeah. And her first choice university had already sent rejection letters to other kids in her twin grade 12 class, and she didn't have one yet. And they said that they would have the acceptance letters by February 1st. Well, it's now, you know, the third week of February, and we've heard neither way, right? And so she contacts the advisor that she'd interviewed with, et cetera, et cetera. Oh, you're still on the list. You're a really great candidate. We're excited to have you, et cetera, et cetera. And then March 1st, she gets a rejection letter. Everybody else got their rejection letters in December. So she called them and she just said, I'm just wondering why, like you told me I had a great interview. I was a great candidate and, you know, a week ago and the other rejection letters were sent out way back when I'm just, I want to learn from this experience. Yeah. And they simply said, we accept 200 students a year and we had over 800 applications this year which was more than double we've ever had before. And it just took us longer to go through everyone. And you were a really, really great candidate. But unfortunately, there was 200 that were better, (laughs) right? And he said something along the lines of, in your interview, you couldn't um, state how or how you were going to use your degree in a career. But she was doing a general studies degree and was choosing that because she didn't know what she wanted to do for her career. So afterwards, she was a bit confused by that statement, right? It's like, if I'm choosing general studies, why should I know exactly what I'm going to do in my career? So yeah, is that the point? Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, (laughs) so she was disappointed, but she sucked it up and she didn't really love her plan B. So she decided she wanted to make, create another plan A. So she applied for another university and very soon after she was accepted. So that was great. And she was going to go to Montreal. And very soon after that, she got her first concussion. Mm. And through this process, I was in this place of things are happening for us. Yes. And I realized she just wasn't ready to go to university that September. 
wasn't and she was caught up in that's what you do yes I that's the expectation. That's everyone else is doing it yeah exactly yeah. and so rather than going and not succeeding these things were happening for her to ensure that she didn't go to university until she was truly emotionally ready to move halfway across the country. Exactly. From exactly. Yeah. And probably you were emotionally ready for her to move. That too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. So, yes. Right. In the moment, we think it's the worst thing ever. Often. Yes. But Absolutely. And we feel rejected and we feel like a yes. failure and we put all of these emotional attachments Absol- to it. And then we suffer. Yes. Right? And we beat ourselves up as yes. opposed to yeah. just stepping back from it for a minute yes. and yes. saying, yes. why has this happened? And as you said, what do I need to learn from it? Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, it's brilliant. You know, it kind of reminds me a little bit of um, one story in particular that I'd love to share uh, because it just goes to show you that we can we can take an experience um, and we can suffer in it or we can struggle in it or we can take an experience and we can respond in a way that allows us to, again, receive all the value from it. And so um, we were actually down in Mexico. Um, I think you've heard this story. I do. I was actually going to ask you to share it if you did it. So yay, (laughs) it's perfect. Um, Then I will share it because um, it's such a powerful story for me. Um, So not only have I had some near-death experiences, but I've also had quite a few experiences where I thought I was going to die. Um, I have been on a plane that exploded um, and survived um, uh, I've, uh, been stranded in Mexico and survived. So let me tell you the Mexico story because it's a powerful one. Um, my partner, my partner, Dan and I were down, um, at our property in a place called Mulahe. Now Mulahe is about six hours North of Cabo San Lucas. It's like pretty, we're pretty much in Mexico. Okay. We're not in touristy areas or anything. We're off the beaten trail. And we had heard from some locals about this shell beach with all these awesome shells, like all shapes and sizes, colors, like really cool place. So we had gotten a map from the local. They drew us a little map, said, okay, well, you find this village here. And then once you find this village, you just go down this road and you keep going until you hit the ocean. And we're like, okay, we can figure this out. So sure enough, we go on an adventure. We took a few wrong turns. Um, but eventually we figure we've got, we've found the town. Well, the road's not much of a road. It's like a sand bar. It's like sand, right? We're in the middle of the mountainous desert too. Um, there's not a soul in sight. Okay. Um, we drive about 20 miles from the village and sure enough, the ocean appears. We are the only ones out here. There is nobody out here. We're in, um, um, you know, we're in this, um, again, this, plus 42 degrees, by the way. So that's Celsius people. So I don't know what that is Fahrenheit, but it's hot. Okay. Over a hundred. It's definitely yeah, over a hundred. And, and I'm telling you, us Canadians are not used to this plus 42. So it's cooking, but we find the, we find the beach, we park, we get out, we collect some shells. We've been hopping the ocean because we're so hot. We're like, we'll cool off before we go back, we go in the truck to leave and the tires begin to spin. The tires are we're not going anywhere we're stuck and I'm thinking we're from Alberta whatever we'll get out of this and we get out of the car and we do some things it's marrow tires whatever the things you do are and the harder we try the deeper we sink Mm -hmm. so we are now really really stuck 
it's okay. I got my cell phone, grab my cell phone, grab Dan's cell phone, no service. So now we are 20 miles from the nearest village. We have not seen a single soul in sight. We are here alone in the middle of Mexico. And of course I watched Narcos Mexico, the whole flight down. So my (laughs) mind, my mind is hijacked by fear. And it says the cartel's going to find you and you will die. Right. Like, (laughs) or you're going to walk across some grow up on the way to journey to this village. Right. So my mind's going in all these different directions and fear is kind of hijacked it a little bit. And I took a deep breath because it's typically what I do when I'm in a place of fear. I'm like, okay, I should breathe. I know enough now to just take a deep breath. And I took a deep breath. And as I took that deep breath, I heard a message that said, start walking. Now, I, um, you know, of course, part of me was like, oh, no, like, we're going to get out. We'll just keep trying and we'll get out. And Dan's working really hard, digging underneath and trying to get us out. But that voice was too strong for me to ignore. And I said, Dan, I said, I'm going to start walking. Now, realistically, 20 mile hike through the mountainous desert in plus 42. I don't know that I would have made it. I really don't in flip flops too. Right. So, you know, Mm -hmm. we're not geared for it. Um, But nonetheless, I'm hearing this message to start walking. So I pack up whatever I can. I'm grabbing whatever water we have and towels. I don't know what I'm supposed to take through the desert. Right. And I grab whatever we need. And Dan says, well, okay, you start walking, I'll catch up. And I started walking and I, and I, and I really felt this call to pray. And so I did, I said, okay, angels, I actually asked, I literally asked, I'm like, angels, I need you to send me someone to save us here. Like that was my conversation. I was like, I really, I'm scared and I need your help. So I just kept that prayer kind of going and I didn't walk very far and Dan had caught up to me and we turned a bit of a bend um, that we needed to turn um, to get to the village. And, and so we turn this bend and over the horizon comes a one ton white, also white, one ton dually pickup truck with a winch on the front. Like, what are the chances that a white truck, white, of course, because the angels are white, of course, right? Mm-hmm. You know, that's how we kind of connect. And, and with a winch on the front, like if you've been to Mexico, you know that there's not a lot of heavy duty trucks with winches kicking around, right? So what are the chances that exactly what we needed was coming down that road? And I will say that had I not started walking when I did, we would have missed that truck. Mm-hmm. That truck would have gone long, long by. And so, of course, the gentleman helped us and, and was very kind and, and all of that. So we were able to get out. But what my point about the story is one, recognizing that I have the ability to change the energy of things. And when we change the energy of things, we open up the possibilities, the infinite possibilities of every solution that we need in every given moment. If I would have stayed stuck in fear, I wouldn't have heard the message to walk. I wouldn't have. I would have stayed Mm -hmm. in the truck. We would have missed it. Mm -hmm. right and so how often do we let that fear kind of overtake rather than stepping in and saying wait a second I have the power to choose this I don't have to let this be the thing I can choose differently and so I made a conscious choice in that moment to say I am going to listen in I'm going to take a deep breath I'm going to ask for some help and I'm going to do whatever that intuition is telling me to do 
And I believe that that saved us that day. I believe that it did too. Yeah. Because like you said, you wouldn't have got to the junction where you saw the truck so the truck could see you. It would have gone on past and not gone, even known. Yeah. We would have totally missed it. Yeah. 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 It's amazing. So, it uh, you know, that just, you know, that kind of drives home my last point about the fact that we have this energy lens. If we can take a deep breath, recognizing that everything is energy. And so we can, we can make things happen. We can make things happen. Um, we can shift the course of our path. We can shift the direction in which we think it's going to go uh, if we really want to. And so there's power in that. Yeah. There absolutely is. And I love all of the stories that you share. There's uh, power in every single one of them as well. Uh, thank so you. this has been such an amazing episode. I've absolutely loved having you share your experiences and it is so inspirational to me. Uh, so I would also love you to share a little bit about the work that you do today for the audience, because I know you've read, um, you did one reading for me from my Akashic records, which I loved. And then you read for my mom and I've referred other people to you because it's so powerful to understand and have a glimpse. Yeah. Of our soul's history. And then uh, to continue working with you for those that want to tap into all of these resources slash tools that are available to us. So please share a little bit more about that too. Oh, well, thank you for asking, Melissa. You know, I am so passionate about this work. It's been uh, such a beautiful process for me. And I, I have so much joy in my life and I have such an abundant, beautiful life. I really do. I live and breathe what I speak to. And so my mission is to help other people to live that life too. And so the Akashic Records uh, is your soul's library. And this is the area that I specialize in. Uh, so I work one-to-one -one with people, sharing them insights, whether it's past life stuff, whether it's tools for right now, whether it's future pathways, because I'm also a psychic medium, I bring in some of that into the session and the experience. So I do offer that. Uh, and then I also have a course that I teach ignite your intuition is my program. Uh, you become a soul care coach through that program. And I teach you how to read the records and, uh, and do that work within the within that program as well. So, uh, you know, I, I love to serve. And um, I actually if anyone listening to this podcast is interested in a session, I want to gift you an introductory session with me. So you can get a taste of what that looks like. And Melissa, I'll make sure you have the link so that you can put that in, in the notes for people to access. I have that link. So oh, you got it's it. already, okay. it's already in yes. the notes and such a generous it. offer. And thank you so, so much for offering that. And having done that with you, I highly encourage any of the listeners that are interested into tapping into who they are and getting to know themselves more deeply and having greater understanding of where they've come from. And for me, it was, it was so beneficial because it gave me so much confirmation of the path that I'm on now as my purpose. Yeah. When I learned that I'd been a healer in so many of my past lives that I had no idea about. Right. And so that was really powerful for me. And you had messages from my dad and my grandmother, and oh, that was very cool as well. So that's amazing. I love all of that. So thank you for that generous offer. And you've also been a client of mine. And I would love you to share about that too, because I have my next um, group 
health kickstart and detox starting in early May with discounts if people register before April 20th. Um, But if they hear it from you from this podcast and they mention that to me because it comes out after April 20th, then I will extend that discount to listeners too. Oh, amazing. I'm so happy to hear that. Yeah. You know, I, I've actually done a couple of the, of the programs that Melissa offers and um, even just the, the routine of, you know, um, cutting certain things out a few times a year, oh, works wonders, such a benefit for me. Um, I have to say that like, I've really resolved a lot of my tummy issues in doing these resets with you because it's really shifted me into like, what am I feeding my body and my body's responding a lot differently. And so it really increased my awareness. I'm much more conscious. I have way more fruits and veggies in my diet than I ever have. (laughs) Uh, And I actually feel so, so good. So I've made a point now, um, even though I, I don't necessarily do your program every time, Time, I do the same structure because it's so valuable. So I learned a lot in the program and the guidance that you gave me really helped to stay, keep me on track because, you know, I'll admit that like, once I was on like the second week, I was like, mm, I don't know if I like doing this anymore. <laughs> so <laughs> I definitely had resistance as I went through it, but now it's become just a very natural place for me. I don't eat any dairy anymore, just naturally. Um, and gluten has gone out the wayside as well. And I feel really amazing. Well, I love hearing stories of how people feel amazing as a result of, you know, detoxing their body. But what I love even more is just about every single person that goes through the program with me talks about the heightened awareness that they have, how they're listening to their body and that they know, and they can start trusting in their body, guiding them. And, you know, again, it's like the work that you do when we're, you know, dealing with energy fields, et cetera, it's all within us, but society has kind of had us push it to the side. We haven't been taught. We're not aware that it's within us. And so bringing that to the forefront for people allows people to, make it a lifestyle rather than just do it one time. And then I'm done with it. Right. Because that's not enough. Unfortunately, we do live in a toxic world, right? It's about making it a lifestyle and it's about creating lasting habit change. And that's what people want. They really do want the lasting results. It's exactly what I wanted. And so I've really changed my own lifestyle to make it sustainable. So I still have a cheat day, Mm -hmm. um, but alcohol has been reduced. It's intuitive eating. I would call it in a way, Mm -hmm. like I feel like my intuition increased around what my body wanted and didn't want that awareness was huge for me as part of the program. Um, I still do indulge. Absolutely. I do, Mm -hmm. Um, but I do it very consciously now, which is huge. And of course, I did lose some weight as well. Just FYI as a bonus. <laughs> that is a nice <laughs> bonus. Cause those toxins weigh something, nice right? Flat, Like it's not <laughs> bloated anymore. So yeah. Yeah. So lots of good things to say. And like I said, you know, um, I do like to do a bit of a cleanse a couple times a year, but now I'm on this like maintenance. That's very sustainable for me. Um, and, and, and I'm enjoying it. It feels so good. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. We're actually doing a community detox starting April 25th for anybody who's already done the program before and just wants to do their next seven day. Awesome. So if there's any listeners that are in that category, you can just message me and say you want to jump in and join. Um, and then for anybody that has never done the program with me, the next program to start you off and set you up for success starts May 3rd. And awesome. the link for that is also in the show notes. So I love to ask questions of my guests 
uh, each time. So my question for you is what does don't wait for your wake up call mean to you? Oh, well, I've had a few wake up calls, obviously. Um, uh, you know, really what it's about, it's about um, leaning in to ourselves and building a deeper connection with who we are. You know, like I mentioned at the beginning, you don't have to wait for a near death to make the yes. choice to go on a journey into your soul, right? And so it's about choosing now. What do you want for yourself? What do you want for your life? Choose it now. You don't have to wait. You can choose it right in this minute. I love that. Thank you. And then for people that want to get hold of you, what's the best way for them to get hold of you? Well, you can check out my fa- or my uh, website, rosehope.ca. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, also Rose Hope um, International, I think is the, is the actual Facebook uh, link there. Uh, but either those places, um, at those, you can reach out to me through my contact page on there. And uh, yeah, happy to answer any questions that anybody has. Awesome. Well, thank you again for coming on the show. It's been a fabulous experience. And do you have any last words that you want to share with the audience to inspire them to get started today? Well, you know, there's an awesome quote by Michael Bernard Beckwith that I love. Um, I, I might not get it perfectly accurate, but you'll get the point. It says, when you believe more in what you don't see than in what you do see, the more you will see and the more you won't see. So in other words, the essence of that, and, and again, it wasn't perfect in terms of what it actually says in that quote, but the point is, is that we have this incredible infinite world around us that we can't necessarily see, but I'm telling you it's there. <laughs> and so it's about opening ourselves up to seeing the energy of things, to feeling into things a little bit more. This is what we're being asked to do at this time on the planet. We are light workers. We are meant to shine our lights brightly to help to guide others in their path. So, you thank know, thank you for investing this time with me on the Don't Wait for Your Wake Up Call podcast. I'm so glad you joined in. If I love that. What a brilliant, a brilliant, brilliant, and inspirational way to end. So, thank you again, Deanne. Thank you, Melissa. Thank you, everybody. Please leave a review. And thank you to my audience for tuning in and listening to this fabulous episode and staying with me on this journey. And we will see you for our next episode. Thanks so much. Bye, everyone. And help disrupt the sick care system we have today and make human health a global priority. Health is your true wealth.